Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by their good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. To find out more, visit at www.lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. He'll be joining us, as well as Professor Andrew Joppa author of Josephus of Oz, and we'll visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and author of several books, his latest, uh, How Everything Happened, Including Us. It is October the 21st, and on this day in 1967, I'll never forget it, in Washington, D.C., nearly 100,000 folks gathered to protest the American war effort in Vietnam. More than 50,000 of the protesters marched to the Pentagon to ask for an end to the conflict. The protests were the most dramatic sign of waning U.S. support for President Lyndon Johnson's war in Vietnam. Polls taken in the summer of 1967 revealed that for the first time... American support for the war had fallen below 50%. When the Johnson administration announced that it would ask for a 10% increase in taxes to fund the war, the public skepticism rarely increased. The peace movement began to push harder for the end of the war. The march in Washington was the most powerful sign of their commitment to the cause. The Johnson uh, administration responded by launching a vigorous propaganda campaign to restore public confidence in the handling of the war. The president even went so far as to get General William Westmoreland, commander of U.S. forces in Vietnam, back to the United States to address Congress and the public. The effort was somewhat successful in tempering criticisms of the war. However, the Tet Offensive of early 1968 destroyed much of the Johnson administration's credibility concerning the Vietnam War. <laughs> just tons of lies about the number of folks being killed also. The protest was an important in suggesting that the domestic Cold War consensus was beginning to fracture. Many of the protesters were not simply questioning America's conduct in Vietnam, but the very basis of the nation's Cold War foreign policy. That all happened on this day in 1967. Never forget it. It was televised in quite a protest. Peaceful at the time. Well, uh, the Florida Department of Health reported 63 new cases of COVID-19 and three additional deaths. Uh, again, these deaths seem so suspicious. The number of cases is up. That's a little concerning. But 69-year-old woman whose positive case was counted in August 9th, a 77-year-old woman who had contact with a known case. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that because she had contact with a case, she died with COVID-19? And an 83-year-old man, he was counted on October the 16th, uh, on uh, yesterday at 11 a.m., there were about 25 COVID-19 patients in Cuyahoga County hospitals. That's not a lot. So we're not being overwhelmed. And remember, that was the one flattening the curve for, so the healthcare system would not be overrun. Not number of cases. And none of that was supposed to be considered. So we're in good shape when it comes to that. Now, the number of reported COVID-19 cases around the world has hit 40 million, according to a tally kept by Johns Hopkins University. The grim milestone of 40,000, uh, 40,050,000 confirmed cases on Monday comes at various parts of Europe and the U.S. struggle to deal with an alarming surge in infections, this report says. The dreaded second wave began in August in Europe, following by the relaxation of national lockdowns implemented in the spring. <clears throat> so the uh, story narrative here is that there is a second wave and it's starting to get out of hand. Interestingly, Peru has the toughest lockdown in the world and still ended up with the worst fatality rate in the world. And if you want to know if any of this is politically motivated, Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, from Michigan, she said, if you're tired of mass and wish you could go back to church, vote for Biden. I'm not kidding. She really said that. Well, Floridians experienced a record-breaking first day of early voting in anticipation of the upcoming November election with over 3.1 million votes cast. More than 366,000 of those ballots were cast in person on the first day, according to statistics. The remainder, over 2.6 million vo voters, opted to vote by mail. 
Of the over 3 million ballots, 1 million 3,000 were cast by Republicans, 1,324,000 cast by Democrats, 46,000 were identified as other. This surprises me, while 774,000 had no party affiliation. Had no idea the number was that big. So what's going on here? Well, I suspect and believe that we're seeing a lot of folks that have never voted before are voting, and I think a lot of those folks are voting for Trump. Here's Ben Shapiro's perspective. He just dropped a video explaining why he would be voting for Donald Trump in 2020 after not having done so in 2016. He's listed by The Hill as being a Republican who had vowed to never back Trump, broke down his three key reasons for the change of heart. First, he said is that he was wrong about Trump on policy, having previously worried that he would not govern conservatively. Second, he said that while he wasn't really wrong about Trump's character, he believes that whatever damage he was going to do had already been done. And third, that Democrats have lost their minds. <laughs> he used a expletive in front of minds, but he had, they said they've lost their minds. I thought he would not be a conservative in his governance, and I was wrong about that, said Shapiro. He highlighted Trump's conservative record, including cuts to regulation, reduction in man hours dedicated to dealing with regulation, his appointment of originalist judges, tax cuts, lower unemployment rates, putting pro-lifers in the executive branch, dropping out of the Paris Accord, dropping out of the Iran deal, crushing ISIS and killing uh, Soleimani, and Abu uh, al-Baghdadi, and being the first president in his lifetime to not start any new wars. He moved the American embassy in, uh, to, in Israel to Jerusalem. He brokered the first meaningful peace deals in three decades. He cracked down on China in uh, unprecedented ways. He resisted using the federal government to control everybody's life during their the pandemic. Trump restored due process of college campuses. He's not actually threatened the institutions. He's not threatened the press, the legislature, nor has he used the executive branch in nearly as powerful ways as Barack Obama did, said Shapiro. Trump has governed overall in a far more conservative fashion than even George W. Bush. I think that uh, speaks volumes about how people are feeling right now. They, you know, when we elected Trump the first time in 2016, he was an unknown quantity. A lot of questions about how he might govern. It's, it's a known quantity now. And uh, people, there, I'm sure there are people that are going to say, hey, I, I voted for him before, I won't vote again. But there are a lot of folks that agree with uh, Shapiro, Ben Shapiro, and what he had to say. By the way, smart young guy. Justin Taylor, this is another example, a Democrat mayor from a critical swing state of Pennsylvania wagered there would be a huge victory and a huge numbers for President Trump while hammering how Democrat presidential candidate Joe Biden has done very little or nothing for the American worker. Taylor, who served as mayor of Carbondale, Pennsylvania, told the War Room pandemic show that he feels that President Trump will win a resounding victory in the upcoming election, emphasizing that under Biden, the Democrat Party has drifted too far to the left. I see a huge turnout, he said, a huge victory, huge numbers for Trump, and I honestly see that across the Commonwealth and across the nation, he commented during uh, noting that there will be more and more Democrats who felt abandoned by the party. He went on after Biden, emphasizing that it was insulting that Biden insisted he was an advocate for Pennsylvanian workers. And here he goes on, he says, what really he's done for northern eastern Pennsylvania, what he's done specifically for Scranton, it's somewhat insulting to say that the native son of this area when he's been gone for so long and again has really not implemented any practices or initiative that would be helpful to industrial nature of Scranton and the uh, county, northeastern Pennsylvania, as a whole the entire time he's been in elected office. He continued rebuking Biden, noting that he doesn't stand for Pennsylvania's values of God, family, country, and work. For northeastern Pennsylvania, it's God, family, uh, country, and work. I don't see any of those really from Biden. I don't see that from the Democrat Party anymore. They're the party of every other alternative opinion and no longer the party of the working class, he said. Taylor suggested that Biden is a representative of a broader trend in the Democrats, insisting that the party doesn't advocate for working people. Yeah, I think a lot of people agree with him on that. What do you think? I definitely think that uh, the nature of the Democrat Party has changed, and that uh, when people are waking up and say, where do they stand for with what my interests are? And I think that uh, they feel somewhat abandoned. So another good example, I think, of what the sentiment might be out there as we go into the final days of the election. 
Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation appears to be on track. The full Senate vote uh, is scheduled for Monday. See if we have a surprise between now and then. I certainly hope not. She is, deserves, and by the way, the American people think that she should be concerned. Now, this is uh, just popped up. I found it on the Newswire during an interview with Milwaukee's uh, news station, WISN 12, on Tuesday. Uh, pres- the vice president, the presidential candidate, candidate Joe Biden, stated there is no legitimacy to the claims by Senate Homeland Security Chairman Ron Johnson that Biden's son Hunter, along with members of the Biden family, profited off the Biden family name and stated that the claims had a last-ditch effort in the desperate campaign to smear me and my family, he said. I'm not kidding. He really said that. And so it's going to be so interesting to see how this plays out. Mainstream media running uh, interference for Biden, as the social media is doing, Facebook and, of course, Twitter. He's claiming, now he's claimed that there's no way that they profited, even though the smoking gun, this laptop, is right there as evidence of what he's done. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by uh, Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. You can find out more by visiting lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast hey, or lunch Bob, is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, How fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, Glad complete with great music and going? a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly yeah, become one you of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. I'm getting my cataracts. So uh, that's happening uh, November the 3rd. So Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year. And since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a wonderful performing arts center in downtown naples you can find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org coming up we're going to visit with professor andrew joppa right now we have with us bob levy as i mentioned before the break he's a constitutional scholar written a couple of books he's also the chairman of a terrific organization the cato institute bob thank you so much for joining us great to be with you bob thank you bob tell us about the cato institute we are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual liberty, and individual <coughs> rights, as well as limited government. 
www.cato.org. Cato.org, terrific organization. So, Bob, well, let's talk about executive power. It's certainly been used a lot by this president, perhaps even more by the previous president. But uh, numerous laws control what Americans can do, but some of those laws were never passed by Congress. Instead, they're imposed by administrative agencies such as the EPA. Doesn't the Constitution require that all federal laws be enacted by Congress? That's what Article 1, Section 1 says, and that's the very first sentence in the Constitution after the preamble. And it says, and I quote, all legislative power is vested in Congress. So, you know, why did the framers write that? Because they were smart guys, and they knew if Congress passes an oppressive law, the voters can respond by electing new representatives. So the problem has arisen. what What if the law is murky and no one knows what it means, or as in the case of Obamacare, nobody even reads it. <laughs> and then the president instructs one of, you know, about 320 administrative agencies in Washington, D.C., to flush out the details of the law. Well, under those circumstances, the voters, they have no recourse because these agencies and cabinet departments are run by unelected uh, bureaucrats who are not responsive to the political process. So that's been the problem, and it's a big problem. Big problem indeed. In fact, as we've seen evidence of real political uh, leanings one way or the other uh, and pushing a political agenda at the cost of a really objective running of the government, how can Congress uh, handle the complex federal regulations without the help of administrative agencies? Well, you know, from a constitutional perspective, it's not only which policies get adopted, it also matters uh, that Congress and not the agency supplies the uh, the policy. So if Congress needs help, uh, it can get help. It has congressional staff. It can call on universities and professional associations and think tanks like the Cato Institute. And, and naturally, it can call on these agencies mm-hmm. who are responsible for implementing the law. <clears throat> but it's Congress itself that should have to review the recommendations of these helpers and sign on before these recommendations actually uh, become law. And I think most important, the agencies should not be allowed to negate, to actually reverse what Congress has expressly uh, enacted. And indeed, that's what's going on. Absolutely. Kind of ironic, they're part of the executive branch, which has really expanded the power of the executive branch, I would assume. But, Indeed it has. Uh, yeah, give, give an example of an agency negating what Congress has enacted. Well, you remember Internal Revenue Service's rewrite of Obamacare, um, <clears throat> declaring that the insurance exchanges that were, quote, established by the state, that's how the statute read, included exchanges established by the federal government. So, you know, the statute was crystal clear, mm-hmm. and yet IRS regulations permitted payment of subsidies that the law explicitly forbade because those subsidies were only supposed to go to people dealing on exchanges established by the state. So sad to say, the Supreme Court, for inexplicable reasons, um, agreed that the statute means um, what it does not say and doesn't mean (laughs) what it quite clearly uh, does say. So that's just one example among many of these uh, agency overreaches. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, the Supreme Court went along with this thing. (laughs) Yes, they did. They went along with it. Unbelievable. So uh, is this problem a big deal? I mean, isn't Congress still in charge? The implications are really serious. Washington, D.C.'s alphabet agencies, and again, like I say, there are about 320 of them, are operating uh, overtime. So to grasp the scope of the problem... Uh, Consider that these federal agencies now dwarf Congress when it comes to making rules that control uh, what Americans can and can't do. Uh, The Code of Federal Regulations, uh, the CFR it's called, compiles these rules. It's more than 200 bound the volumes, about six times as large as the U.S. Code, which contains all the laws that were passed uh, uh, by Congress. Mm. So it, the U.S. economy suffers from over-regulations. We have the, you know, the FCC is trying to stifle Internet innovation, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, Elizabeth Warren's uh, Playchild 
under the Dodd-Frank Act perpetuates some of this too-big-to-fail nightmare in the banking industry. Uh, the FDA, as we've seen, suppresses some drugs that could have been life-saving. Health and Human Services under Obamacare mandates uh, costly and unsustainable <clears throat> health insurance. we got the agriculture promoting subsidies for wealthy farmers and EPA, of course, imposing some of these global warming standards without a congressional authority. And you could go on and on. So, yes, it is a very big problem. Big problem. In fact, tomorrow I'll be visiting with Michael Cannon, who's the director of Edge of uh, Healthcare Policy uh, Studies at the Cato Institute. And I've been, he's talking about the overregulation of pharmaceutical drugs, which is going to be an inter- interesting conversation. Kind of an explosive in, study. Indeed, and just... responsible in part for the opioid crisis. Yeah, so isn't underregulation a problem sometimes? You know, the, the relevant standard for assessing the, the regulatory environment is not some utopian world where justice is. Uh, is ubiquitous and and uh, all the inequities have been um, have been purged. And what we have to look at is the current environment versus uh, an environment that we would have if we had more regulation. And I think the problems would likely multiply with more regulation. We'd have disincentives to innovate. Mm-hmm. We'd have the the uh, politically powerful special interests actually capturing the regulatory process. Higher costs, reduced growth, uh, government uh, conferred monopolies. We'd have any competitive barriers to entry with protectionist regulation. Uh, consumer choices would be limited. We'd have higher prices, uh, overlapping laws, confusing laws, abuses of power, and, of course, a lot of resources devoting, devoted to politicking and, uh, and lobbying. And I think unless you examine those consequences, you, you can't make the case for more regulation yeah. just by cataloging a handful of apparent market imperfections. Uh, the market's not perfect. The question is whether it's better than the next best thing. Yeah. And that's especially true when these regulations are implemented by agencies that are not constitutionally authorized uh, to make uh, the laws. No, that's such an important point, too. And actually, the, the irony is that big companies sometimes embrace these, uh, these regulations because it puts the little guy out of business. They can't afford the attorneys and the tax guys and everybody involved to be able to keep up to date with what the government requires. And so you end up the smaller guy getting put out of business. Absolutely correct. So have there been any new proposals to rein in the regulatory state? Yeah, my colleague uh, at Cato, Randy Barnett, who's also a law professor at Georgetown, has proposed a repeal amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And its essence would be that any provision uh, of law or regulation uh, could be repealed when the legislatures of two-thirds of the states approve. So, you know, laws and regulations, and I'm not talking now about constitutional provisions, but laws and regulations, uh, so they could be reversed without the courts stepping in uh, or or uh, amending the Constitution. And this kind of repeal power would be sort of like a president's veto, mm-hmm. allowing the repeal for policy reasons, even if uh, technically the regulations were constitutional. And, of course, the courts could step in if they were not constitutional. That would be a step in the right direction, but I see no prospect, no realistic prospect uh, that it's going to be bad. I absolutely agree. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great being with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. 
That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you'll check it out, vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, my friend. Always looking forward to your uh, commentary, Andy. And I'd just like to just start off by saying there's so much going on right now leading up to this election, which November 3rd is what, only 13 days away. What are your thoughts? Well, it's, uh, you know, I, this is, sounds like a cliche, but it's the most critical election in American history. And in this case, that's absolutely true. Uh, I think, Bob, we can assess that almost all of American institutional life is lost to the left. If we look at the federal bureaucracy, the media, entertainment, education, big tech, all of them have certainly made an ideological shift to the left. The only place where America might be found, and that will be within the American people, in the election on November 3rd. Mm -hmm. uh, let me just, for the sake of your, of, of your, of your listeners, let me just uh, sort of illustrate the nature of what's going on from the left in those institutions. There used to be a, uh, uh, an unofficial uh, rule in the, in the media, in the press, that they would never publish anything about a candidate with uh, no more than one issue before the election. Uh, but I looked at the Atlantic, which is the leading glossy po political magazine for the left. And let me just, uh, for the sake of your of your listeners, let me just show some of the stories that they, they have here. And this is not just uh, cherry picking. This is the magazine itself. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one article, Civil War is here. The president's supporters on the militant right are bracing for conflict. Another story, the election that could break America. If the vote is close, Donald Trump could easily throw the election into chaos. Who will stop him? Another story, Bob. Last exit, Donald Trump's first term was characterized by theft, lies, and corruption. A second term could spell the end of American democracy. And one more, Bob, just one more. American Cadillo. Donald Trump is slowly making the U.S. into a likeness of the country's Latino refugees have been fleeing. So here we have the leading political magazine, commentary magazine of the left that has published, uh, by actual count, seven major negative articles on the president in their last uh, issue prior to the election. Uh, let me just also mention Goldman Sachs uh, in this condition uh, uh, with uh, propaganda from the left. The leading uh, economist in Goldman Sachs is John Hatzius. John Hatzius uh, well-respected, by the way, in, in the American economic world, has said that the only chance, the only chance, Bob, of saving the American con economy is a blue wave in November. In other words, this, if the left wins the presidency, takes the Senate and holds the House, that is the only chance uh, for the American economy to be saved. And, and let's just remember who and what Goldman Sachs is. Goldman Sachs uh, is the organization that paid $600,000 to Hillary Clinton for empty speeches Another $200,000 in the post-Obama uh, presidency for a speech. 
it's its members, its employees have given two hundred thousand dollars to Biden uh, for his campaign, none to Trump. Uh, they've also uh, prohibited any public offering that did not from a company that did not include one of their members uh, in the board of directors uh, who was a minority. So uh, Goldman Sachs, again, uh, populated by by leftist ideology, is bombarding the American people with uh, absurdities. And the absurdity, obviously, that it re- would require a Biden uh, overwhelming victory to save the American economy. Well, let me just pile on. I mean, it's, it's theirs is a classic example of projection. While they're actually claiming things that they're are actually what would happen if, in fact, there was a Democrat victory, all those things that they listed would lead to the outcomes for the Democrats, not the Republicans. I think the you know, to this economist who I've not heard of, but doesn't mean anything. I don't follow a lot of economists. But the exact opposite is true. I think it's true that, in fact, for a short term, there would be economic activity with China. China would continue to steal from us and continue to take advantage of us. But uh, the long-term result of that would be, uh, of course, the president has diminished and muted down our participation with the uh, Chinese economy. But the downside of that, of course, is that long-term, they would take us over. Well, you know, there's no doubt your comments are exactly correct, and I have absolutely no doubts as to the uh, reason that the articles appeared in the Atlantic or the comments made by Goldman Sachs through Jan Hatzius. And, and again, let me just reinforce, he's one of the most widely uh, read and respected economists in this country, but for him to suggest and Sachs to support uh, that it would require a Biden takeover of this uh, of this government, federal government, uh, for this economy to say is obviously just ideological nonsense bob absolutely so, yeah your, your comments are, are spot on and they certainly do uh, reinforce exactly the point i was making so uh, what i see andy i see all this enthusiasm for trump and when you take a look at the results they actually do measure and talk to find out who these people are you know so, and i'm i don't have the numbers right here in front of me but something like 25 28 percent of the people that attend the trump rallies are actually democrats or have no party affiliation even more. Uh, Many have never voted in the past four elections, or at least the last election. So, you know, I think we have a lot of people who have been disenfranchised by the uh, political elite and are looking for a home, and they found it with President Donald Trump. Well, there's no doubt, and I I absolutely believe, and this is not just rhetoric for the sake of of supporting the president, but I believe he will win this election in November. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite as confident about the Senate, but I I do believe Trump, by by every consideration, even the early voting results, if we look at them, Bob, uh, they would have expected that the voting favored the Democrats. But let's look at some key states. In Texas, uh, the president in early voting is leading 51 to 40. In Michigan, 41 to 39. In Ohio, 46 to 41. Wisconsin, 40 to 38. And Arizona, a toss-up at 36-36. Now, those numbers sound close, but again, the anticipation was that the majority of the Trump vote, the enthusiastic Trump vote, uh, would occur in the in-person voting, uh, either in early in-person or on the day of the election. So those are very, very positive numbers. If we look at some other very general considerations, uh, we can see the enthusiasm gap is is enormous in favor of the president. Uh, 66% of the Trump supporters are enthusiastic about his candidacy. Only 46% are enthusiastic for uh, for Biden, uh, that those that support Biden. Uh, if we look at the uh, the primary tallies for the president, he received twice as many uh, votes in the uh, primary process than did any other incumbent president. Mm-hmm. And, and there's an interesting statistic, Bob. No incumbent president who ran uh, in the primaries without a serious opposition has lost in the general election uh, come that November. So I think uh, if we talk about this enthusiasm gap, it seems to be the same uh, significant uh, gap that existed in 2016. And it's the same reason I thought that Trump would beat Hillary, and I believe Donald Trump will win this election in November. Yeah, and so I don't think they actually tally the number of votes for or against a candidate. I think they tally how many Democrats versus Republicans are voting, correct? Uh, yes, that is true. So, and, and I suspect that a lot of there are a lot of disaffected Democrats who do, who feel like the party has abandoned them and their interests. Quite frankly, I suspect because what I'm seeing at these uh, rallies that many Democrats will be voting for President Donald Trump. 
I, I think there's no doubt. I mean, look, I, I have a problem with the uh, with the Democrat Party in general, but certainly there are uh, old line Democrats that certainly still exist. I think they're suffering with their uh, their attempt to hold on to their to their party affiliation. Uh, but I think when it comes to the uh, the privacy of the the voting booth. Uh, or however they vote, Bob, of course, uh, I think many of them, as you're pointing out, are going to vote for the president. Yeah. Uh, Andy, I have so much more I want to talk to you about. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought you. I'd like to just mention Lulabee's Diner doing a great job. Actually, uh, Lulabee's Kitchen is opening up at St. Matthew's House. I'll be talking to uh, Reverend Van Matt, uh, Ellison about that uh, on a Friday interview. In the meantime, I just hope you'll enjoy Lulabee's Diner for a great breakfast or lunch at the Green Tree Shopping Center. Uh, we're continuing the conversation now with Andrew Jopper, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Hey, so uh, you're taking a look at what's happening with the mainstream media, this bombshell of a laptop, Hunter Biden's laptop, which is indisputably his laptop. It is not Russia, Russia, Russia. And uh, well, in the meantime, we're seeing the mainstream media and social media running interference for Biden in this election. This is just, this is banana republic stuff. Well, it's it's proof positive of the bias of, of big tech and of, of uh, social media outlets in general. Uh, if we look at the most recent confirmation by the FBI that the laptop and the information on it is valid, it is not the result of uh, some Kremlin insertion or interference. Right. Uh, if we look at Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff said he had intelligence reports that, that indicated this was all done by the Kremlin. And, of course, that was completely dismissed by uh, senior intelligence official Radcliffe. Uh, so we're looking at a situation that I think is uh, il illustrative uh, of the general problem that America faces right now. We have a serious situation in all likelihood, <coughs> excuse me, a criminal activity. Uh, it's not uh, generally cited, but as far as I understand through multiple sources, there's a high degree of what can be considered to be child pornography on these computers, right. uh, lurid images of Hunter Biden with underage uh, girls. Uh, and all of this is being suppressed by social media. There was a serious attempt, I believe, made early on by the FBI to suppress it, although uh, that is in doubt. 
But if we look at the, the way the political left is handling it, the media in general and big tech, uh, we can see exactly uh, how uh, information going to the American people is suppressed, is, is denied. Now, if I was hiring somebody for a job and they had committed a crime and that was being uh, suppressed or not given to me as information at the hiring point, uh, it seems to me I should have the right to remove them from that position. Uh, in a comparable way, Bob, I think that's exactly what we may be looking at with, yeah. uh, with Joe Biden. He seems to be complicit in a series of illegal activities in Ukraine and in China in support of and complicit with his son, Hunter Biden. And here we are on the verge, perhaps, and I hope it doesn't come to pass, certainly, that we may elect this man president uh, with every reason to believe that this is a criminal of the highest sort. Bob. Well, and uh, the criminal activity should be punished, but how about the compromised uh, positions he would have in on the world stage in terms of representing the United States' interests and the citizens of the United States? I mean, that, that, it's absurd to think that this guy could be leading the free world. Yeah, and I think this is a tip of the iceberg type of thing. I, I'm always of the mind that what we know, even if we know it, uh, is is only going to be the uh, a limited portion that has managed to rise to the surface. So I think if the full details of the uh, the Biden process, I, I understand, Bob, he's worth $250 million. I, I don't have any confirmation on that number, but I've seen it several times. Huh. How could a man who's lived his whole life at the public trial have a wealth of $250 million at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, uh, I understand that uh, you've, uh, uh, there's an absurd commitment to the Muslim faith uh, in, in terms of Biden. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Well, in general, I have no problem with weaving um, the, the Muslim community into American life. I think that's probably a very positive thing. But what uh, Joe Biden has committed to is to have Muslims uh, appointed positioned in every level of the federal government. So here you have the Muslim community, which is 1.1% of the American population, that in some way, uh, it's hard to imagine that competency would be the, uh, the determining factor with only 1.1% of the population, you're not going to find that level of competency. So here he is, he's making concessions to the Muslim community, and I'm not condemning the Muslim community at all for this. Yeah. I'm merely suggesting that this is uh, is uh, is uh, playing to that community, and perhaps to the detriment of, of the American ability to fairly assess the threat of, of Muslim immigration, if that is a threat, and Muslim terrorism, certainly. Both. Yeah, well, so, yeah, I think, uh, quite frankly, Barack Obama already beat him to the punch. <laughs> I think there's a lot of Muslims already in our in our government right now. How about the How about the, the discussion about this reconciliation commission that the Democrats are proposing? Well, I'm I'm always interested in the the early moments of something that could become something larger as time unfolds, and I think. The issue of the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is one of these things. We've seen comparable forms of this. Uh, let's say the most, uh, the most prominent has been that uh, the one used in South Africa uh, with the Nelson Mandela takeover, where they bring in former uh, agents of the government. Uh, they put them into a commission uh, sworn in. I don't know if it's a sworn in or not, but a commission format uh, where they must confess their crimes and and, and receive the rebuke of the larger community. So this has been now proposed, the initial proposal, as best I understand it, was Christopher Hayes at uh, MSNBC, not a heavyweight by any means, but that has subsequently been supported by uh, the comments from Robert Reich, who is one of the major voices of MoveOn.org. Right. And the number that I last heard is 65 Democrat members of Congress are supporting the creation of a Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, in the Biden administration, should he should he win, uh, this uh, would be a, a an outrage. I think it presumes uh, the uh, that the uh, Trump administration has been involved with illegal or inappropriate activities. So, just the very suggestion of its existence suggests that the Trump administration has been those things that the Atlantic had cited in the in the articles that I had mentioned to you. Well, about. just take it a little further, never mind the Trump administration. How about the fact that uh, you and I are having these conversations, and uh, because we're not in alignment with those Democrat beliefs in the, on the Democrat Party, we're held to account and somehow punished for our, for the crime of thinking differently than than they do. 
There's no doubt. It's impossible to tell how dramatic that would become. But certainly, uh, if I can judge by the Democrats uh, that, what, that I've seen over the last almost four years and beyond, obviously, uh, I think the potential for this becoming uh, more draconian than merely being an investigation of, of how problems existed and who created them. So I think there is a chance that people like me and like you certainly uh, would find our voices suppressed as being called before a local truth and reconciliation yeah. commission to confess our sins, Bob. Absolutely. Andy, you know, here we are. I'm going to have one other opportunity. I guess the next interview will be just the last one before the election. But any last thoughts about the election going forward? Well, again, I think the, the major thing to consider is that I think uh, this is the last chance for Americans to document that America exists. Uh, it will not be documented in our institutions. I think they're at this moment certainly lost. But I think if the American people deliver what I believe will be a resounding victory for the president, I think that will document the, the existence of America. Uh, with that, let, let me just add a comment about, about the debates uh, that are coming up tomorrow night. Mm. Uh, first of all, the moderator, again, obviously, perhaps not the father. Certainly, leaning to the left, no doubt. Uh, and they've changed, uh, moved away from foreign policy as the major topic into other areas that would be more supportive of the, the Biden campaign. Um, I never quite can understand, Bob, why the Republicans allow this to happen. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Presidential Debate Commission is comprised of Democrats and Republicans. Every one of them is a never-Trumper. Yeah, it's really a shame. Andy Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. I genuinely appreciate and uh, admire your commentary every week, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with another professor, endowed professor at the University of Houston uh, in, in space architecture, Professor Larry Bell. He's also the author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, as I mentioned before the break. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books. His latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. It's a terrific read. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Bob. Uh, professor, you also write your column for uh, Newsmax uh, magazine. This is coming out now a couple of times a week, I'm seeing. Uh, it's called On Point. You can find it on Newsmax.com. Your latest is Those Standing Behind Biden Define Him. What an interesting take. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, it seems like this is a, 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 a ongoing saga that's reopening itself to uh, think about the people who uh, really uh, are behind Biden and... Uh, it seems more and more that we, we see him as an empty vessel for a lot of interests, and uh, certainly that would include uh, 
you know, the far left and the Bernie Sanders group and the AOCs and so on. But I think increasingly, too, we're now seeing with this uh, new uh, chapter where they found the Hunter Biden hard drives and uh, the information on them and uh, finally a window into other aspects of influence over Biden mm-hmm. that are pretty alar- pretty alarming, really. And uh, it's, uh, it's kind of concerning how so much is focused on, you know, big bad Trump and uh, his tweeting and his, you know, in some people's view, very unpresidential demeanor. On the other hand... I'm concerned, and I think a lot of people are concerned that there's a far more uh, worrisome aspects out there that uh, have to do with rank corruption, and uh, that also uh, is uh, influenced by uh, ideological Marxism that we're facing right now that the public, uh, large segments of the public really haven't had access to that information because of still another scandal, which is the influence of the, we call mainstream media, but it's also, of course, Silicon Valley influence on what we're allowed to see and uh, know about. Yeah, it's it's just such scary stuff. I have concerns about the illegality of of what's happened, to, but a number of things, and uh, certainly what could happen domestically with the Green New Deal. But one of my big concerns is, I think uh, Biden certainly seems compromised when it comes to our relationship with China. That's one of the biggest things on our radar screen right right now is our relationship with China and how we're going to manage that going forward. I think the president has done a magnificent job in terms of getting uh, a focus on what the problems are with China. I'm concerned that would all, I quite frankly, would lead to China taking us over in about 20 years. Well, it's, yes, indeed. And uh, I have an article I expect to have run this morning about Biden's China deals mm. uh, with regard to his relationships with oligarchs. And uh, again, tying in with the uh, information that was on not only Hunter Biden's laptop, but Hunter Biden's partner, who is now in prison, who released a lot of information on, uh, basically turned over his laptop information on on Hunter Biden's dealings with uh, with China and with also with Ukraine and so on, and and the uh, that that's a that's a very terrifying notion that. Uh, we have high-level officials, at least one that can be blackmailed uh, by China and by other countries. Uh, of course, Russia, but I think Russia has been uh, eclipsed by China as as really a threat to us, and uh, that that's that's very concerning, both in terms of China's. Uh, malevolent interests and long-term plans, but also in terms of the, uh, you know, the scale of influence that they've exerted over the public with, with, uh, various espionage and buying our media and, uh, and it seems like even bribery of high level officials. Yeah. And in addition to that, I mean, domestically, the proposals that uh, Biden stands for right now, he may not even personally uh, recommend, but irrespective of the people behind him, as you're pointing out, are, are all standing with the Green New Deal, with uh, our relationships with families. Uh, maybe you could uh, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, and of course, with, there's this waffling on, uh, say, the Green New Deal, and he says, well, it's not my platform. It's not really the Green New Deal. But when you when you go to the website, you know, Biden's website, and so on, is clearly uh, framed on the Green New Deal, and, and admittedly so, it says so. And uh, and the, and the issue of fracking, of course, that's a 
this, uh, this uh, claim that goes back and forth in terms of, well, I'm totally against fossil fuels and fracking, and, well, maybe it's on public lands, or maybe it's this new fracking or whatever, and mm. it depends on you know which audience he's playing to, whether it's Pennsylvania or California. And uh, so you have you have that sort of that sort of issue. But it seems like on virtually everything, whether it's packing the court in the Supreme Court and supporting the uh, you know the uh, basic promises by by Schumer and and Pelosi there. They're not directly stated that they'll do it, but it's pretty much implied, and we should have no doubt. Uh, but there's there's really no there there. Uh, again, it's it's whatever. He says, "Well, I'll let you know after the election or whatever." And it's like uh, Nancy Pelosi saying, "Well, you know, we'll all know what's in the in the Obamacare after we you know after we pass it." Yeah. So there's. There's, there seems to be a, a total opaqueness. There's no lack. There's no transparency whatsoever, even including his. You know, I think making himself unavailable to the press. And when when he does, I'm talking about Biden, of course. Uh, you know, when he does, he makes sure that they're, you know, they're cherry picked so that he doesn't get any difficult answers and questions, rather. And uh, it's it's a uh, interesting time. It certainly is. The debate tomorrow night should be very interesting. It'd be interesting to see how President Trump chooses to manage that situation. But he, I think the, the, the vice president right now, Biden, is uh, simply trying to run out the clock. Uh, and uh, the, most, the most damaging thing to me is I mean, he's just demonstrated he so, so much lack of character. I think he's so dishonest with the public and so dishonest with the media and dishonest with everyone. And for whatever reason, the mainstream media and social media continue to support him. It's uh, very distressing. It just makes me think that we're kind of behaving like a third world country. Yeah, it's, it's ironic to me that they present him as this old Uncle Joe who's you know friendly and so on. But you see how he snaps and loses his his, his control over himself if he's asked a you know an unfriendly question. You know he. Uh, and, and maybe it's partly his, you know, his, his mental state, but yeah. but I don't see him really as a nice guy. And I think they, they try to portray that nice guy image that he's going to be someone who's going to kind of, kind of you know, calm the country and bring us together and get us through this polarized uh, kind of political period we're in. I I don't see that happening. Yeah. I think it'd be quite the opposite. And uh, I don't know how we put that genie back in the bottle. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's a you know, very uncertain times for our country. Absolutely. Professor, I, I want to pivot a little bit and just express uh, support for your book. I think it's a great read. It's How Everything Happened, Including Us. Uh, again, by Professor Larry Bell. I encourage you to get a copy of the book and read it. I read it. Uh, it was an e-book. I got it uh, on uh, Kindle uh, from Amazon. So, uh, again, how everything happened, including us. It takes us back about 13 billion years up to the present day. It's so fascinating and interesting to not only to see what happened, but also the velocity of change over time. Uh, just so fascinating story. Again, how everything happened, including us, by Professor Larry Bell. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, I always appreciate your support. Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Uh, and a brilliant man, if you can imagine. He's been such a, an important part of the space program. And I encourage you to uh, just take a look at his. He wrote a couple of books on climate change, which are very fascinating indeed. Again, Professor Larry Bell. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to get on the uh, distribution list for the newsletter about the show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also appreciate your comments on our guests and commentary as well, bobharden at hotmail.com. Tomorrow we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. As I mentioned, he's the director of healthcare studies at the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about a brand-new study on uh, pharmaceutical drugs, Keith Flaw. The co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance will be with us. Seton Motley is the uh, founder and president of Less Government. And Bill Barnett, the former mayor of Naples, will be joining us as well. 
I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>